We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's move on to the mailbag, Ryan. We've got some good questions. If it, We'll go through and get some more. There's a lot of receiver questions, and if you have some more, uh, we'll, we'll get to those as well. But let's dive into these questions. A lot of them are receiver-related. Archer452, our resident Buckeye, says, how do you feel about Stucky as a coach? He has very little coaching experience, but he did play in the NFL. Ryan, let's. Uh, we've talked a lot about this, but let's let's dive into that. Let's kind of share it. Because you've, you've had a chance. You broke down a lot of Baylor film, kind of what you yep. saw from 20 to 21. And then, of course, what we were able to see in the spring and what our expectations are for Coach Stuckey. Yeah, I would say Archer, for me, it's he's passed every test that he needs to pass so far, right? Because you talk about what he did for in Baylor in 2021. 2020 Baylor, and I know it was abbreviated season, so it's not the perfect sample size, right? But wide receiver group was just not great in 2020. Coach Stuckey comes in, it's leaps and bounds better in 2021. I mean, literally, I'm pretty sure the season before – Tyquan Thorne had like 17 catches for like 160 something yards. And then he turns him into a second round draft pick. Right. So coach mm-hmm. Stuckey did amazing things in his one year at Baylor. He comes here and I've only seen one practice live, but I'll say attention to detail is the biggest thing. Right. And I, I think you're, you're seeing that in practice, working on releases, you know, physicality through the catch point, the, the nuances of the wide receiver position are things that they're really focusing on. So it's a wait and see as far as what the long-term looks like, but from what I can evaluate Coach Stuckey on, he's done a great job so far, in my opinion. And I think it's that it's that relying on that experience as mm-hmm. a player. Yeah. You know, maybe you don't have it as a coach, but you have it as a player. And I and we saw, I mean, you know, you're an Ohio State fan, right? How much experience did Brian Hartline have coaching before he took over at Ohio, at Ohio State? Right. But what did Brian Hartline rely on? It was his career in the NFL. And in this, the what he had learned from that part of his career. Brandon Plensner asks: After the recent offers to twins Jared and Jeremy Smith, I'm curious if, in your experience, have you ever seen or heard of twin football players committing and/or playing at separate schools? Well, there's one that should be very familiar to Notre Dame fans, and that's the Equanus. Notre Dame signed Osita, but they didn't offer the brother who ended up becoming a top ten NFL draft pick. That that's the first one that jumps off my head, Ryan, because they weren't they were. I don't think a lot of people realize that they were twins. 
because they were they look nothing alike. One is a six-one chiseled linebacker. The other one's a three hundred plus pound offensive lineman. But I'm pretty sure they were twins, correct? So, so. Uh, yeah, they're definitely in the same class. I believe that they were twins. Uh, so is is Asita uh, going into his fourth year on campus? Then mm-hmm. definitely. Then yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know they were in the same class, but it could be one of those yeah. things where you know one was born right after the other, and one of them has one of those weird birthdays that they couldn't start. Right. You know. Who knows? But I'm pretty sure that they're twins. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that they're twins. Yeah. Other than that, do you know of twins that have played at different schools? Like, I know, I know no. that Ricardo and Dev McDonald were brothers, but they weren't twins. And you know, obviously, right. Devin played at Notre Dame, and Ricardo played at Pitt. Correct? I believe so. I'm, I'm just trying to work. Th- I mean, obviously, Adam Alola's. I think of like the McCordy brothers, but obviously no, they played I, together. I was right. I mean, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Ricardo and Devin McDonald were born on the same date, November eighth, nineteen sixty nine. Oh, so, so there's another they one. Were, they were, they were twins. Nice. So, um, I, I knew that I knew they were brothers. I just didn't realize oh. that they were twins. So. See, someone just said the Barbers, but they both played at Virginia, so that's not a yeah. They yeah, example. he said yeah. at separate schools. Yeah, Ronde and yeah, Tiki both played schools. at Virginia. Yep, yeah, yep, yep, yep. So I, I, so. I can't, I can't I think can't, of another one. Yeah. So the two that we thought of were Notre Dame related. So obviously, and Notre Dame got the, the the McDonald one worked out pretty well for both. Ricardo was a fourth round draft pick and, and number eighty eight overall. Devin was also a fourth round draft pick. Went nineteen spots lower a year later. They're both really good football players. And, of course, you know, Dev McDonald played on some really good football teams at Notre Dame. Uh, he was drafted mm-hmm. in 1993, so he was on the 92, 91, 90, and 89 teams. He was part of some of those great recruiting classes that Lou Holtz put together early in his career. So, Brandon, that's a good question. I can't think of any off the top of my head of any twin brothers that uh, that played at different schools, but I'm, I'm sure there have been other than the two that we thought of. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coach Bent asks uh, part one, uh, B. Ryan, I know it's 
early still, but how do you rate Marcus Freeman's balance between best players and best scheme fits compared to the previous stat? Says why seem to be highly rated players and Ty and BK were best fits. I, I mean, I there is definitely a balance that needs to happen, but I would say more. I, I think it's a. I think I've seen with Coach Freeman and the staff that there's a co- there's a trust in their coaches as as evaluators and as developers because, like, I mean, at the end of the day, if you take a really good football player you should be able to figure out how to use them, right? Like there's there's ways to to best accentuate the talents that they have. So I think I think coach they they've done a good job as far as evaluating the need versus the play versus the versus the talent level there. But I also think it's more let's trust the coaches around them to get the best out of these players. I don't think it's something where like you have to recruit to just this scheme and just this coverage that we like to run. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there's definitely a, a, a war around it that like let's get good football players here and then let's figure out how to use them. I think again, that's why we talk about recruiting Jeremiah Love at multiple positions, potentially talking to Micah Tease as an athlete. Ronan Hannafin, if he doesn't work out a wide receiver, could be a guy on defense, right? Like those guys, you don't take those types of players that many gambles per se. Mm-hmm. If you don't trust your team, you don't trust your your developers to put them in the right spots consistently. It's kind of like the NFL draft, Ryan. Nobody just goes out and gets the best players without any thought of whether or not they fit what they're doing offensively or defensively. And Coach Freeman, I actually interviewed Coach Freeman today uh, for some things, some features that we'll have coming up. So we were able to sit down in the in the office today and and chat about a lot of different things. And and that kind of thing came up. And it was it was we were talking about the the defense with Al Golden and just kind of what he was looking for because a lot of the people focus on scheme and his focus wasn't so much on scheme but more so philosophy because the scheme has to be dictated by what you have. And he talked about, you know, when, when coach golden came and interviewed, it wasn't about, this is the five coverages I'm going to use. This is how we're going to line up. It was more about, this is the philosophy I believe in block destruction and, and playing fast and making plays and all that. And and so you always need to be able to adapt, but you're also not going to go out and recruit a player who's a great player that has bad fit for what you do. Cause then if you adjust to fit him, well, but what if the rest of it doesn't fit all the rest of the players you have? There always has to be some semblance of this is what we believe in, right? And this is what we do. And then you recruit the best players you possibly can to that. Now, you have to then be open enough to say, hey, we're a we're a team. Alabama is a perfect example. You're likely going to see the Will Anderson role look a whole lot different in 2023 than it does in 2022 and 2021. Why? Because they've tailored it to him, which is why they've looked a lot more like a four-down team in recent years, and they have a three-down team, even though they're still in that same sort of alignment, because he fits the system, but it's tailoring it to what they do more, and and that's what you have to do. But they haven't changed their overall philosophy and structure, so you have to find that balance. But it's it's about this is what we believe in: speed, making plays, and all that. Who are the best players we 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 can find that fit that? And that's what they're doing. That's why you're not seeing them like there's some really good 240 pound linebackers in the country, but that's not what they've really looked for. Junior two Alamaka being an exception because there were reasons for that, but it's just not primarily what they're looking for. And then we saw this spring why. Oh, that makes sense. Now we see why they why they <laughs> you know because he's so smart and and quick. But you always have to balance that. And and it's like NFL. Oh, we're just take the best player available. Okay, so if you just drafted Trevor Lawrence last year, and the best player in this class is also a quarterback, 
are you going to take a quarterback again? Yes. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> right. Like, you know, uh, so there's always got to be some level of fit into this conversation. Mm-hmm. USMA 87. How much do you feel success in the field will impact 23 commits? Could it open the door to grabbing someone committed to another school? She feels successful in the field will impact. I I mean, huge, huge. I I think that one reason that you're seeing guys like Jaden Greathouse potentially moving the the commitment date back into the season is because he wants to see the on-field product. He literally said that he wants to see what the offense looks like under Coach Reese now without Brian Kelly kind of, you know, standing over top of him, right? And I think that you – I've heard that from a couple different players, that they Mm -hmm. want to see the on-field success. So I think that it's tremendous. And I think that if Notre Dame is able to get off – to a really good start in the beginning of the season. I mean, they already have tremendous momentum on the recruiting trail, but that could like solidify momentum. If they have on-field success on top of the, just the the caliber of recruiters that they have on this staff, then Notre Dame is, I mean, it's going to continue to snowball the success they're having on the trail. Mm -hmm. I think uh, this is why I'm not too worried about some of the holes, like quarterback, for example. I'm not too worried if kids commit elsewhere because I really believe that if Notre Dame is on offense, what Ryan, what we think they can be on offense, I think it's going to make it a lot easier to that for them to flip a kid if they need right. to, if that need arises. And so I, I do think it could, it could open up flipping somebody if the offense can really go do that. And especially if it results in a win over Ohio state or a close game against Ohio state and a win over Clemson and USC, I definitely think it could have that impact. There's no question about it. Agree. Sean Kane, assuming their name is Cam Williams, what other, what group has a higher ceiling? Williams, Larson, and CJ Carr, or Buckner, Eli Raritan, and Tobias? It, I think that's a little bit unfair. Yes. Because you're taking three dudes from three different classes. Compared to one class. Compared yeah. to one class. I mean, obviously the answer for me there is it's Buckner, Raritan, and Tobias. I think Tobias is better than Cam Williams was at the same age, but – we've only seen cam as a sophomore, right? Sure. Eli Raritan is, is better than Jack Larson. I don't know if I would have said that when Eli, Eli Raritan was a sophomore though. Right. No, right. no, nobody had heard of him when he was a sophomore, really. He didn't yeah. really started to break out a little as a junior and then senior just really was a monster. You know, Buckner and CJ Carr are similar at the same age as a sophomore. I, I mean, as much as I love Tyler Buckner, he hadn't played a lot of football. Right. Tyler Buckner as a junior was a whole lot better than what CJ Carr was as a sophomore, but we haven't seen CJ as a junior yet, you know? Yeah. So it, it's really unfair to, to, to do that. But I mean, to, to, to your question that the Buckner rare and Tobias Merriweather trio is better, yeah. but it, it took Notre Dame three classes to put that trio together. <laughs> sure. I mean, the, the group that you're asking about is uh, a 20, 20 is one group. I would also say that I don't, I don't think, Cam Williams and Jack Larson are, are super, super high ceiling guys. I think they're more high floor guys, especially Cam Williams. Like, I don't know if I see Cam Williams again, just, just based off sophomore film. I don't see him as becoming a Michael, Michael Floyd. Mm-hmm. Right? I just don't see that kind of ceiling or a, or a Will Fuller, but I think yeah. at the very least, he's going to be at the very least, he's going to be Chris Brown. He could be a TJ Jones, not style of play production wise, where, you know, good rotation player for threes and then breaks out as a senior. To me, that's more of where I see him, which is fine. Yeah. But again, that's as a sophomore. We haven't seen junior film yet. And that's what makes it tough to compare. Because a lot of the older kids, especially, I didn't start watching sophomore film until recently because 
I didn't need to. Nobody got offered as a sophomore. So uh, that's, yeah, we'll see. Zach Martin, over under, two and a half, 24, 2024 commits by the end of July. So, Zach, are you saying like two and a half on top of what they already have? Because no, if think, that's the I, case. I, I think he's saying two and a half is how many commitments from now until the end of July for the 2024 cycle. Yeah, so two and a half between now and, and the end of July. That's how I'm reading it, yeah. Okay, I'm going under. Because that would have to be three kids committing in the 24 class, the 24 class yeah. between now over the next month. And I just don't see three kids doing that. I would probably say under. I think I think a more a tougher one would be one and a half, right? Yeah, because like I could see them surprising and popping two. a kid. Yeah. Yeah, right. But right. Three, I just I don't I couldn't even tell you who the other two would be mm-hmm. if they get Cam Williams. So it's an interesting one. Now, if we get yeah. into 2023 commits then i would tell them for sure (laughs) way over yeah Yeah. 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 Riker ferg who just signed up for the message board this weekend so welcome officially i mean you're now like a a a double super like secret member of the irish breakdown board because you are now on the uh, family because you're now on the board Riker ferg asks if we get all if we if we get four receivers for the 2023 class what's a good number to get for 2024 class 99 problems but bk ain't one had a similar comment right here, Ryan. And he said, how many do you take? I think you take four again. We're just talking about 23 and 24, one and 22, four and 23, four and 24. Nine total is solid. I take nine to 12 receivers and total t- injuries, transfers happen and use rotation in season. I think that's kind of what we were getting to early in the show. Back yeah. to, to Riker's question is, the number is going to depend on what you do in 24 and 23. I think eight over a two-year span is about as much as you can get to where you're not almost ensuring yourself that you're going to lose somebody. I mean, that's kind of how I look at it. Right. Ryan. I mean, if you start getting like five and five, you're going to lose some guys. So what's the point you're in, you're guaranteeing you're going to lose somebody or you're going to have to move somebody to another position, which I don't think is what they're trying to do. So I think eight over two years is probably the, the ideal number. Sure. So if they get four, yeah, sure, four, four more next year. But if they're able to, I mean, if they if they just hit uh just hit every single one, they get the, they get Jaden Greathouse, they get Ronan Hannafin, they get Rico Flores, and they get Micah Tease. But you got to make some tough decisions with what you're going to do next, because it's going to be almost impossible, in my opinion, to play ten guys or even nine guys from a two year span. Eight's going to be tough. Yeah. But to play not, but, but but with eight, I feel like there's enough difference in development where some guys are going to play early and be gone in three years, and some guys are you know maybe going to be there longer. So, I think eight in a two year span, Ryan, is really the way to be. So five and three, four and four, three and five. You know, hopefully that's not the case. That would that would be bad. Yeah. But I that's just- that's my number. It gets so interesting too, because I agree with you. I think eight in two years is a good number to work with. It's just 2022 only brought you one, right? So like, it's just like, it's because then you have to project forward a little bit that like, you know, Tobias is the only guy in his class right now. And then, but also it's the, it's the age of transfer portals. So if you ever get title numbers or whatever, or you need numbers then you could always attempt to go that route, I guess too. But yeah, I, I think ultimately, Four and four would be a great number. I think five and three. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I agree. I think eight's a really good number for two years. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be in a situation where you're doing that very often. 
You really don't. Agree. Unless you're just low. I mean, just completely loading up. Brandon Plesner says, "Does the Texas uh, now? Does the fact Texas has Arch Manning and Notre Dame? By the way, for those who don't know, Arch Manning committed to Texas this weekend. Does the fact Texas has Arch Manning and Notre Dame has no 2023 quarterback affect uh, is going to affect great house recruitment? Uh, Ryan, I think we need to kind of get away from this notion of it, you, a quarterback can only impact you if he's in your class." Right. I think a big time quarterback can impact you in multiple ways. If if let's just say let's just say hypothetically, mm-hmm. I was told by somebody last year that if Jack Ka- Kaiser or just Jack Kaiser, Jack Cohn, if Jack Cohn doesn't come <laughs> off the bench against Virginia Tech and rally them to a victory, and let's say Notre Dame loses that game, mm-hmm. they were pretty much ready to turn the reins over to Tyler Buck because like the season's over with. You're not in playoff hunt anymore. It's like it's time to move for the prepare for the future. Let's say that happens. And let's say Tyler Buckner starts the rest of the season and Notre Dame runs the table like they did and Buckner really blows up. Mm-hmm. That would have had such a greater impact on recruiting right now than it's having, where there's question marks about the offense and who the quarterback's going to be. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying they should have made that move. I, I think they made the right move. Jack Cohn deserved to be your starter because you're still trying to play for a championship. You, at that point in time, when you beat Virginia Tech, you still have a chance to make the playoff. And they almost did. They finished fifth. You know, they're a they're a Alabama, Georgia, you know, outcome being different in the SEC title game away from being a playoff team. Don't argue whether they should or should not have been there. It's not the point. They'd have been in there. Right. And and so to me, it wasn't time to turn that rain over. But the point is, had it happened, it would have impacted recruiting because you'd have had a, a young, proven quarterback. Same thing with Ohio State. Who's the quarterback in Ohio State that's in 2023 that's convincing all these kids to, to jump on board? Is it, it, have you heard any receivers talking about? I can't wait to play for Devin Brown with Devin no. Brown. I mean, I know on three ranked him really high and he was highly ranked, but he wasn't that dynamic personality like an Arch Manning or whatever or dynamic name. And so I think CJ Carr has had that impact. And CJ came on campus the weekend Jane Greathouse was on campus to make sure that he he met those kids. Yep. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to impact it, to be honest with you. I really don't. Uh, if, if it, if it was, if it was close, yes, it matters. It's a tiebreaker. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. no question. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be a situation where a kid that loves Notre Dame is going to now flip somewhere else because of the quarterback situation. For example, mm-hmm. we, we were asked about, you know, some people asked about Richard Young. We've said along, look, Notre Dame did a nice job, but we still don't think it's going to happen. It, there, a, a lot of other things would have to happen. I'll tell you right now, that's a kid that I think that not having Dante Moore in this class is going to hurt you. I think the only, that was the only chance you had because he doesn't know who CJ Carr is, right? But right. a receiver will know, and Jaden Greathouse has now met him, so I don't I don't think it's going to have a big impact. The only way it will have an impact is if it was already a really close situation. Mm-hmm. Here's a and th- this was the question from JC Clapp: Do we have a decent shot or a long shot at Richard Young? It's always been a long shot, but there's some things that could happen that could maybe make it. You know, could make it a, a factor. I, I, yeah, we'll we'll get into that more when other things happen. So, um, we'll get into that right now. Ian Johnson says this is a good one for you, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Why does it seem like there are more great receivers than corners in general? Do corners tend to start later, so develop later? I mean, I mean, it, the simple answer is that everybody wants the ball in their hands, right? Like they want to be mm-hmm. the guy. I remember I was talking to J.C. Horn when he was coming out of South Carolina, and his dad, of course, is Joe Horn that was a fantastic receiver for the New Orleans Saints. And the only reason that J.C. started playing corner in college or when he was transitioning, because he was actually a really good wide receiver in high school, is Joe Horn, his father, told him, 
there's a lot of good receivers that are coming out each and every mm-hmm. year. There's not a lot of good corners though. That's why you're going to play that spot. Cause eventually you're going to make a lot of money because you're going to be one of the few guys. Right. So mm-hmm. I think it's just simply guys want the football. That's why everybody growing up was a running back or a quarterback or a wide receiver. Right. Cause they wanted the football. I played fullback in, in, in junior high. Right. Cause like I wanted the football. And then I got to high school and they're like, eh, you're a linebacker, defensive end and offensive mm-hmm. tackle. That's what you are. So mm-hmm. it just is what it is, man. That's like the glorifying of being the guy with the ball in your hands. And mm-hmm. I understand it. I get it. I yeah. get it. I also think that the the nature of what offenses have become the last decade of three and four receiver offenses has necessitated necessitated that more high school teams put their best athletes at receiver more. Hmm. So maybe kids that would have maybe played corner are now playing receiver and they're like, hey, I like this whole getting the ball thing, you know, than back in the past. I think the other thing too, Ryan, is I think cornerback requires more skill than receiver. And I think that's it too. I think you can be a really athletic kid. As long as you can catch the ball okay, you can be a pretty good receiver, especially in college. NFL sure. is a different deal. You got to have the, the the IQ in the NFL more so. In college, you can get away with being really athletic more. Not It's not it, but you can get away with it more than you can in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I think in college, even even to be a a really good corner in college, I mean, they're, they're, yes, athleticism is a big part of it, but I think there's more there's more of a need for skill. Uh, not have not being a guy that's great at stance and starts as a receiver is not going to hurt you nearly as bad as a guy who doesn't have good transition footwork and at cornerback. Sure. It's going to hurt same athlete, same size, all of it. it technique is going to hurt a corner a lot more. It's going to hurt a receiver. Not being a great technician, so I think there's a lot more skill involved. And you and I were talking a little bit about Troy Pride earlier too. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's certain things that, that that you really need to be a great corner, in my opinion, that you that sometimes can be harder to find. Gavin KGD is Micah T's a guy you guys feel better about going further into the season with battling USC versus talents like he uh, uh, like he commits after the season ends and Notre Dame smacks down Lincoln Riley and company. Do you think it's going to take that long, Ryan? I don't know if he's going to. I think he's going to commit this summer, don't you? Yeah, I, I don't know I, that I would, for a fact, but I, I would be surprised based on everything I've heard that if he takes it into the season, to be honest, I think we'll have a decision way before the se- season, honestly. Yeah, right. A follow-up question here from 99 Pros BK1. He said, uh, you know, Brian, what things could make it happen to make it uh, to make Notre Dame a bigger player in the Richard Young recruitment? You keep alluding to something could still happen. I didn't allude to it. it, it oh, it, we've explained it in the past. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at the schools he's looking at. I think that Notre Dame overcame past Oregon and Oklahoma with their visit. I don't know if that's still the case after the Oregon visit. We'll we'll, we'll see. But it was always going to be tough to beat Bama and Georgia. And so what we were referring to is if, if you know, if, if Bama gets, you know, the, the I'm drawing a blank, Cedric Baxter, right? Yep. And if Georgia gets Justice Haynes and Oregon gets a kid and Oklahoma gets it, then all of a sudden you're sitting there where Richard Young's looking at the running back rooms and not that he's afraid of competition because he's not, but he's like, this one's a little bit better situation for me, especially with all the injuries in their name is going through. That could be something they could really sell to him. And so I just think it, it would require some dominoes to fall. I don't think they're just going to beat Georgia and Alabama just because. Right. I think it would have to be a situation where they had some things to help them. So we, we've explained that a couple times in, in, in recent shows after his visits and before his visit. So it's not that I'm alluding to it. I just didn't want to have to repeat that same thing again. So, But that's what we're referring to since obviously some people weren't quite sure 
what they're they're going for. Uh, Houdat says uh, with a super chat is Dante still in play? We're, we're not really diving into the Dante Moore conversations as I've said in the past. Notre Dame is still recruiting Dante Moore, and that's about right now. All I'm gonna say about it: when the time is right, I'll have a very long, very long uh, intel feature about that whole recruitment, and uh, that'll be on the message board. But we're just not. For a million reasons, we're just not going to dive into that right now. But I really do appreciate the super chat, and I feel bad because you did give a super chat. But that's just kind of what I've said before. We're just we're not going to dive into the the Dante thing. Other than is he still in play for Notre Dame? Yeah, I think he's still in play for Notre Dame. But it's obviously not hasn't been trending in the right direction for a while. Couple interesting questions, Alex Udell. Ketchup is for fries and meatloaf only. Change my mind, um, Alex. For me, I don't even. I don't like meatloaf and I don't like ketchup on fries. So I'm not going to, I'm not the guy to try to change your mind. I mean, I mean, you did the fries and the ketchup. It's delicious. Right. You also put ketchup on burgers and hot dogs. Mm. And uh, I mean, meatloaf, you make, you make the, the spicy ketchup stuff that goes on top. Sure. I'm cool with that. Sure. Yeah. I know people that put uh, ketchup on eggs. I don't. I don't eat ketchup at all. I mean, I just, I don't, not at I don't all? like ketchup, but not at all. I hate ketchup. It's the best. It's the best. My whole life, I've never liked ketchup. If you're, fr- yeah. I feel like, I feel like fries, I have the same opinion on fries as I have on steaks. Mm-hmm. If I need steak sauce to eat your steak, then you didn't give me a good steak. And 100%. I kind of feel like that about fries. If your fries aren't good enough to eat by themselves, then, then they're not fries I want. You oh, know, it's a bad take. It's a bad and take. No, if it's not good enough, then why do I need the condiment? It's like, it, then you didn't do your fries correctly. Uh, so I just, and I just don't like ketchup. So that's my stance. I dig it. I dig it. The, I only, thing dip, it. the only thing I'll dip fries in is this is more when I was a kid. Uh, there's this place in Lima where I grew up called Cupie and they had like chocolate malts. And I love dipping the fries in the chocolate malt. People do that at Wendy's too. Yeah. With yeah, the yeah. Chocolate malts they that. have. But yeah, I did that as a kid. I don't do that anymore. If you, you see like a grown 40 something year old man, you- like dipping. <laughs> Fries and a chocolate malt. So, so are you are you not a condiment person at all, or is it just a ketchup thing that you don't? Like? I'm not a huge condiment person, period. But I mean, like, yeah. like I don't like. It's just more like I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Like I understand why people like like mayonnaise, but I don't. I don't. I don't, just I don't like, don't like mayonnaise. But I, I, I put it. My my wife will put it in tuna fish when she makes tuna fish, and, and sure. but the tuna fish I feel like is strong enough to kind of drown out the flavor of the mayonnaise a little bit. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't like mustard. I just don't like the taste of mustard. My dad puts mustard on mustard you know, either. on yeah. hot dogs and stuff like that. I don't like mustard. I don't like sour cream. Uh, I just, I, I don't like a lot of the condiments and I just, I just, I don't know why I just never, I'm a very picky eater, but like mm-hmm. hamburgers, if I get a hamburger, I get lettuce and cheese and that's about it. And it's like, Interesting. It's all, yeah, it's all I put on hamburger. Yeah, and it's like the same thing. If you if your hamburger is not good enough to, that I need to put all these things on it, then it's probably not good enough. But I also some people like the some people like the taste of onions and like the taste of ketchup, and that's a different story. Uh, if it's just because you like those extra flavors, that's a different that's a different animal. How about a uh, how about a taco though? You don't put any like salsa, or sauce cheese, and lettuce. Or... I mean, like like hot sauce, a little bit of hot sauce. Like I don't. Like I'll put hot sauce on certain things. So like Taco Bell has uh, like the mild sauce. I'll put that on the taco. But oh, man. yeah, we have that's this, about it. We have this one Mexican place. I do like the old fashioned, right? You get the cilantro mm-hmm. with the diced onion, and then you just put a little bit of their uh, spicy salsa on there. Oh yeah, yes sir. We were in Mexico on a cruise one time, Ange and I, and you know I'm I'm, I'm a real picky eater, right? So I like mm-hmm. what I like. 
Yep. And so we're in Mexico and I'm like, okay, I don't know what, like, you know, spicy food just doesn't, I love spicy food, but spicy food doesn't love me. You know what I mean? Uh, so I was like, well, I'm going to be safe here. Cause I don't want to go back on the cruise ship and be occupied for the next six hours. If you catch my drift. And so I was like, I'll get a taco. I didn't realize tacos in Mexico are a whole lot different than tacos that you get at a, a, a Mexican restaurant in America. I, and my wife tried to warn me cause she's from San Diego. So she, she understands that a real Mexican taco is not like what you're getting a taco bell and, you know, local places. And I, I did not like it at all. Like, I'm like, where's the cheese? Like, where's the lettuce? It's like, I, nope. I, I, I had the same instance in, in Mexico with some of the food. And then also I remember, um, my opinion of what tequila was is much different than what it actually is in Mexico. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is actually good. <laughs> I actually like the taste of this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Never had tequila before, but it's very interesting. I, I, I stay away from tequila, but yeah. Nate Golino with a super chat. Thank you, Nate. Can you give a comp for Tobias Merriweather to an elite receiver? Well, mine, I've given mine before and it's T Higgins. I see similar body. I see similar games. I see similar ball skills. I see similar impact. And T, T, obviously T Higgins was, you know, Ryan and I could debate, you know, is he, uh, you know, where he is, is the, in the NFL. And actually, I don't, I don't disagree with your take. Now that you've differentiated between what you thought of him as a college player and what you, as an NFL prospect, I agree with you as an NFL prospect. I think his speed is, was a bigger issue for him in the NFL as being a number one than college. Mm-hmm. But in college, he was a big time player. Sure. And, and to me, that's that's my comp. I mean, there's a lot of you know, I don't love comps. We give them a lot more now than we used to because people like them, and I think it helps people understand what type of player he is. But I don't think that I could find a better comparison for an size, athleticism, style of play, all of it, than T. Higgins. I just I have a hard time finding a better comp for Tobias Merriweather than T. Higgins. What are your thoughts, Ryan? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to defer to the T. Higgins comp. I just I don't have a better one. So, I mean, it'll be completely transparent. All I'll tell you is he's 6'4 with vines for arms, pretty athletic, and he's a really, really nuanced player for his age. So, that sounds like T. Higgins to you? I guess it sounds like T. Higgins. And he can play faster than what his 40 time might otherwise show. Because T ran a 4.57, at Clemson's Pro Day, right? Yeah, 4.57, yeah. Uh And But, I mean, he had no problem, no problem at all stretching the field in college. I mean, nope. no problem at all. And, I mean, if you just look at his numbers, his last two years at Clemson, T. Higgins had 25 touchdowns. He averaged 20.3 yards per catch as a freshman. 15.9 was his down year in 2018. <laughs> and then in 2019, he averaged 19.8 yards per catch. For his career, he averaged 18.1 yards per catch. Is that good? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, so, again, there's this thought that, well, you got to be a burner to be a to be a big play guy and i'm like well no not really there's other ways to be a big play guy i just said t higgins who ran a four five seven average 18.1 yards per catch in his career do you know what will fuller's career yards per catch was 17.4 yep Mm -hmm. which is lower than t higgins but still very good (laughs) extremely (laughs) good extremely good and will fuller had two years where i mean will fuller was over 20 as a junior right like in 2015 He was at 20.3 as a junior. Well, T. Higgins was at 19.8. So, again, very similar players. Will's one down year of 14.4 is is what what you see. But, I mean, and T's overall production was dragged down a little bit by the fact that they had Justin Ross and 
in uh, Hunter Renfro for yeah. much of his career, which helped as well. And then you had Travis Etienne coming out of the backfield and all those other type of things. So the ball got spread out a little bit more. But that's that's my comp for him. Any, anyone else that you could even think of? I mean, you know, like Justin Jefferson's the only other one that I – but I think Justin Jefferson's a little bit more explosive, a little different type of player uh, to me, but similar body type, I think, than Tobias. But that's the only other one that really pops in my head as a potential comparison. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I think it's a – I think it's a unique comparison because they're, I mean, it's kind of like a rare player, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. talk about the six, four guys that are, you know, not height, weight, speed guys, but like understand how to get on top of guys and use their size to advantage and actually have some flexibility to them. Like that's not a, it's not a normal type of player. Right. So yeah, I, I think, I think we'll just stick with team and kind of keep it there. Cause I yep. just genuinely don't have another one that makes any sense to me. I mean, yeah. Cause every other tall receiver, I feel like that I'm, thinking about guys that win down the field at like six foot four. They're mm-hmm. like the, they're like the, um, the Tyrell Williams of the world, but like those, right. those dudes are burners, you know, right. like they're not, they're not like slow guys. They're like, or they're like two fifteen, two twenty types, right. you know, not lanky. Yeah. Right. right. Like a Mike Williams kind of guy who's a bigger, a thicker guy, you know, that kind of guy. So they're just different types of players in my opinion. Yep. Last couple here, Matt McCarthy. What does the 2024 linebacker board look like? Adarius Hayes, Aaron Childs, and Jay Sean Ross. Jay Sean, real quick, I'll say this: Jay Sean Ross is being recruited as an edge player for Notre Dame right now. So it's like he's that yep. Viper uh, yep. position. So I would not put him right now on the the linebacker board. But Adarius Hayes, Ryan, for sure, is on that list. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, Darius Hayes, 6'4", 210 pounds. He's kind of the real athletic guy that I think could be a Mike. I think he could be a Will. He's got enough speed to work in pursuit. There's no doubt he's a little raw from a just a, a processing perspective, but the kid can run at mm-hmm. 6'4". So he's right up the and top. Hit. And hits. Oh, yes. Yeah, a lot of hit power there. Sammy Brown is another guy out of Georgia. He's a track guy uh, at 215, 220 pounds. Ran 10-7 this past year in the 100, sub-22 in the in the 200-meter dash. And also, ran, uh, uh, sorry, I almost said broad jumped. He, he long jumped over 22 feet as well at that size. So he's a really athletic, explosive player. They're recruiting him at, at either Mike or Will. They think he could play both potentially at the next level. Um, and then I, I, I guess if I throw another guy, I know they've been on Anthony Specka out of, the, out of Pennsylvania for a little while. He's a little more of your – traditional throwback type of player right he's about six foot three six yeah. foot two 220 225 pounds plays at uh central catholic if i remember correctly out there in mm-hmm. pittsburgh he's a really physical downhill football player notre dame has obviously had some success in that school in the past so speck is more of your traditional mike but he's a guy that notre dame has liked for a while i think chris jones is a guy to keep an eye on as well who's a kid from Virginia that was on campus this summer. He's a kid to definitely keep an eye on. We're trying to get in touch with him to see how things are going with him. Uh, and then, obviously, Rover is included in this, should be included in this conversation, and a guy that, sure. that Ryan and I both absolutely love. Ryan talked about him today in the mailbag uh, is, is Garrett Stover. Love yep. that kid as a Rover, whose uh, cousin Kate plays at Ohio State. He visited Notre Dame. Uh, he's a kid. I think. I mean, obviously, Ohio State's going to be really tough to beat, but Notre Dame's Notre Dame's going to be a player in that one. But he's another guy to keep an eye on. And and I, the, I would also the board's evolving so, too. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. No, I was just going to throw out Miles Graham, who's another guy that mm-hmm. I know Notre Dame likes. Right, like he's Ernest yeah. Graham's son. I mm-hmm. think he could play Rover. I think he could play Will. He can kind of yeah. play all over the place. I don't even know exactly where Notre Dame is recruiting him 100. percent I just know he's going to play on the second level, and he's a really yeah. dynamic athlete. Obviously, Ernest went to Florida. You know. 
Miles has been to Florida right. a couple times. Probably going to be a tough pull out of the South, yeah. but he does have interest yeah. in Notre Dame. He's already been to campus. So Kingston Viama Asa is a kid from, I believe he plays at uh, St. John Bosco. St. John Bosco. He visited yeah. for the spring game with uh, Peyton Woodyard, and he's on the board. Yep. So there's a lot of guys on the board. It's just, it's early yet. It's it, as far as knowing like who really they're going to get. Like Anthony Speck was on the board really early, but haven't heard as much about him lately. Yep. You know, he made a lot of trips this summer, didn't get to Notre Dame. That kind of tells me that maybe that communication isn't as heavy as it was early. So we'll see how that one plays out. And again, we've had a, a bit of a coaching change since then, even though the D coordinator is the same. So we see how it plays out. And Alan Watson with a super chat. Who is the person or persons that once they commit that the rest will finally pull the trigger and commit? Well, <laughs> there's one guy, <laughs> but we're not going to go there. Um, what's, his, what's his name, Brian? Uh, he's, yeah. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if there is that guy still out there, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know if there is either. Yeah, I, I think those guys have kind of already happened. Mm-hmm. You know, Keon Keeley was that kind of guy. You know, I think CJ Cars is is had an impact on that with the 2024 class. For sure. I don't. I don't know if there is that guy, to be honest with you. Um, not with the not with the timeline the way it is. I, I mean, yeah. I would say maybe like if you had a guy on defense that was teetering and then Caleb Downs got in the class sometime soon, right? Like they pulled a little upset there. Then that would be, you know, that would move the needle for sure. But yeah, I, I don't really know if there's another guy in the class because, I mean, Notre Dame's sitting at 15 commits already, so right. it's like a pretty big class at this point, you know? So, yeah, I don't know if there's a guy that commits that says, oh, the rest will come. I think it's positionally there's some of that, right? You know, receiver. But everywhere else, it's like a guy at defensive line. It's Jason Moore, nobody. It's, you know, linebacker. It's it's Jade Nosbury and Sam and Pemba. And I don't even know, you know, Sam and Pemba's more of an athlete. In secondary, it's Josiah Wagner, um, you know, Micah Bell and Christian Gray corner, Caleb Downs and safety. I don't, I mean, Micah Bell and Christian Gray already have commitment state scheduled. So I don't think there's like anything that happened that's going to change that. And I don't think them committing, if they did pick Notre Dame hypothetically, would then all of a sudden change things for Josiah Wagner. I mean, you know, he's going to commit on his own timeline. So I just think the fact that they're at 15, like you said, Ryan, it's like, I, I don't think that domino effect is already going to happen, you know, as far as a commit that could have happened. I think that there's a quarterback that could could have an impact like that, but I just right now that's just not where it's uh, where it is at this point in time. So, um, yeah, that's where they're at, and that's where they're at at this point in time. So, and that is going to do it for today's questions, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for today's recruiting hour. Obviously, a lot to discuss here as we dove into receivers, and now we've had our mailbag, but. Uh, appreciate everybody. We'll be back tomorrow, one o'clock again. We'll have some team stuff, but we'll have a show tonight. Not us. We won't have a show tonight, but IB Nation Sports Talk is going to go live tonight. They're going to talk about the running back situation. It's going to be Sean and Vince, Sean Styers and Vince today. We're going to talk tonight about Notre Dame's running back depth chart, kind of where things stand. Sean is going to talk about the Notre Dame head baseball coach situation and kind of some names to keep an eye on perhaps, and just a little bit about Link Jarrett and all those type of things. And you know, Link Jarrett had a bit of a master class on uh, how to properly leave a place with dignity and class uh, that maybe the previous head football coach of this institution might have been able to learn a little bit of something from. But that's because one guy has class and respect and the other guy doesn't. 
Mace AK hits it properly, everyone. Join the message board, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel and the notification bell, share this podcast, and leave a five-star review. Visit the IB store for the best merch, and as always, go Irish. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We will talk to you again here very, very soon. 6 o'clock tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, IB Nation Sports Talk. Make sure you check it out, and then we'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock to talk a little bit about a team stuff. So it's going to be a very, very, very busy next week. Ryan and I are going over all the – days with two shows and all that type of stuff so it's gonna be a busy couple weeks uh, but we're ready for it nice and rested and ready to rock and roll have a great day we'll talk to you again soon on the irish breakdown podcast